At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Oh, what do you mean no? Shut up! You may be captain of your own house, chick, but here I'm in charge. Hold it. Boy, look at him pacing like a tiger up here. A madman. He's got 55 minutes to go and 27 states are tuned in. Waiting for the excitement. Without warning, suddenly it comes out of the darkness like a bolt of lightning. What is it? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's... Yes! <laughs> yes. Let's give Robert Moses a cheer. Come on. Pray for Moses. Everybody's on Robert Moses. Let's give a uh, hello to Robert Moses. Hello, Bob. Hi, Bob. We're the people, Bob. Hi. Remember us? We're the guys that pay. Have you ever had the feeling that your whole life is devoted just to shelling out? <laughs> you know, really, there are two kinds of guys. There are guys that shell out, and there's the other kind. <laughs> They're just standing there, you know. <laughs> Would you like to own the George Washington Bridge for ten minutes? <laughs> Say it about 5.30 in the evening with Fred Feldman flying over. <laughs> oh, he goes over there just to wait to see for the crashes. He loves them, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he's a great automobile accident fan. <laughs> you ought to see Freddy. He says, there's a big one down there on the... Oh, boy! <laughs> it's on fire! Wow! <laughs> They're very terrible here. <laughs> you know, uh, can't you imagine yourself owning the George Washington Bridge, say, at quarter to six on a real steamy Friday night when nine million guys are trying to make it to Pompano Lakes, they're trying to get away, and you put up a big sign that says, $10. <laughs> Without any warning, you know, tonight only, special. <laughs> uh, 
You know, uh, it is true. Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever seen anybody use one of those guns that shoots quarters? Yeah, they got a gun that shoots quarters, you know, for out on the turnpike. You know, you shoot them in, into this little thing, a basket that says exact change lane, you know. You know, there is nothing more terrifying than to get into the exact change lane. <laughs> you know what's coming, don't you? <laughs> and you get up there and you got your $10 bill. You knew you had a quarter and it's disappeared. <laughs> you know, there it is. You're looking and everybody in your car, you say, anybody got a quarter? And they're all sitting there in bathing suits, you know. <laughs> and the line stretches all the way to Trenton. <laughs> well, you know, I've always felt the true bravery in our time is not measured by fighting dragons. And it's very difficult for a guy today to go out and beat a saber-toothed tiger into the ground. But real bravery, can you imagine real bravery, genuine bravery? There's a line of cars behind you. There's a line of cars ahead of you. And they're all going through the Lincoln Tunnel. They're all heading in, you know. It's one of those big Saturday nights. There's 97 million people from Jersey are trying to get in to see the big show. And they're all lined up. And there you are, you see. And there's this guy taking the half buck. He says, half dollar. Boing. And then it says, thank you. You know, it's just... <laughs> Have you ever seen it say thank you to a giant Mack truck? <laughs> and this guy makes his exhaust just go, bleh. <laughs> when he, bleh. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, one of the greatest moments I ever had in my life, uh, speaking of, uh, I, I'm a guy who's, who's involved in the mechanical world. I mean, many people shun it. But I find it wildly exciting. And one night, I had the chance to drive a big 420-horsepower cab-over-engine Mack. This thing had 17 forward speeds. It had nine speeds in reverse. I'll tell you, it had eight speeds in neutral. Oh, man, you sit there, you know, this big flat steering wheel, you know, like the bus steering wheel, and you've got a window that goes all the way around the turnpike. And you're sitting 30 feet above these guys in their MGs. You know? I'm sure that once in a while, some guy in a big white diesel, big Cummings diesel, just wants to run over a whole line of them. You know, just run over them, you know, like worms and caterpillars. Well, I'll tell you the feeling, though. It is great. You throw this thing in the first, and a truck is very different. You know, the, 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 the men are beginning to discover, people, in fact, are beginning to discover the, the kick of shifting gears. I mean, actually controlling the car now is a new big experience for many people. That's called sports car driving. <laughs> and you have to pay extra for it now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Wait, the next big innovation is going to be a windshield wiper. You work like this. You know? It says manually operated sport windshield wiper <laughs> with chrome steel handle. It costs you $40 extra, see? Wait, you know, it's coming. Well, well, the, the, the feeling is real, you know. I got in this mag, and I was about, oh, I must have been about 20, 19, 20, something like that. And it was in the Army. The first time I ever had a chance to drive a real vehicle, genuine vehicle. They don't even call them cars. They're not called trucks. They're vehicles. And they've got iron all around them, you know. 
And there's no... I'll tell you, you just don't know what it's like to drive something until you've driven an army vehicle. They don't have jazzy little sequin dashboards. There's a big green chunk of metal. It's iron in front of you. See, It's got little black dials, and it says gas, oil. One says grenades. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, you're sitting this thing, you know, and out in front, they've got a grill guard that doesn't stop. Let me tell you, they really do. It's got big iron bars all over it, you know, big things. And this particular vehicle was what they call a mine exploder. Now, this vehicle, yeah, you know what it is? It's a thing that has a big arm out in front. It has a chain about 70 yards long, and it goes boom, boom. It beats the ground ahead of you, see? It goes boom, and it blows boom. The mines are going, you know, you're driving this thing. Boom, bang, they're going. What a thing to have on a turnpike. You know? You know? Boy, is this ever an aggressive crowd. <laughs> well, this is, this is a mine exploder. Well, you know, the thing about a mine exploder, you see, it has a giant chain. It really does. And at the end of the chain is a big iron ball. And it's got this arm that just goes up and down like a big whip. Boom. Boom. And you know, I know that all of you are drivers. Every one of you. And you know that guy that goes whistling down the center of the turnpike? With the 56 Mercury, you know, with the decal, he's got this phony continental tire on the back, and it's got a big dragon head looking out, and it's got the phony Venetian blinds in the back, you know, and, and on the back it says Pat and Joyce. He's got his chick's name on the back in this red letter stuff, you know, that shows up when the lights are on it. This is a pure slob. <laughs> This is pure slobism all the way. And he's got one of these steering wheels. Have you ever seen the steering wheels that they put this fake ermine on? It's a big, fat steering wheel. And, and he's, got, he's got his dashboard is blocked, you know, with that sort of purple stuff with decals of playgirls on there, you know, playmates of the month. And on top of his dashboard, he's got a little plastic Christ. Yeah. See? You know this guy. He's with us, you know. He's with us. He's always got one of these sateen jackets with a winged foot on the back, you know. <laughs> you see this guy continually in Jersey diners. This is his milieu. And he's always there with four or five other guys. And how many times after a date, you're dressed up, you know, and you're with this chick. You got your white coat on. You got this little phony carnation here. The chick's got one of these yellow dresses with the corsage. And you come into this diner at 2.35 in the morning on US 1. And you know it's a mistake the minute you get in there. You have made a classic boo-boo. You see, you walk in and eight guys with these satin jackets turn around. Of course, if you're really a hip traveler, you know. Because when you drive into that gravel driveway, you can see these mercuries all lined up. About four motorcycles. There's a cut-down 49 Ford that's been channeled, rotted, and leaded. It's, it's got a 37-coat paint of bronze armor on it, you know, that kind. It's got little decals, arrows, and stars. You drive in, 
You walk into this place. The chick wants scrambled eggs. You want coffee. You just, you know, listen to the... You get in there and the rock and roll. Boom, 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 boom. These guys turn around. <laughs> you see the things going. Like and the guy back and walking back and forth behind the counter, he's got the swab, he looks up, he knows there's trouble. Now it's going to start. And Gertie, the waitress, the big blonde is walking around, you know, with the big purple thing sticking out of her little pocket here. She's got her little white hat, and she sort of leans back, and she knows. And all of these Martys, these Jersey 47, 56 Mercury Martys, turn around, they start. And your white coat gets to be bigger and whiter. <laughs> your carnation is getting big and fat, you know. And all of a sudden, you feel real skinny and white-faced. You know, as though you're, you're real flabby and scrunchy. <laughs> These guys are crew cut. Big round jaws. They all look like kind of like uh, debauched Mickey Mantles. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know that, you know that, that sort of grin, that big fat. <laughs> you know that kind. Well, then, the first move you make is to try to get as far away as possible back in the corner in a booth. You get back there. And you're sitting, you figure if you don't look at them, they won't see you. So you sit with your back to them, and the chick is looking this way, and there they are. And all of a sudden, you begin to get that terrible feeling. The water is in front of you. That cheap tableware is there. She's giving you the paper napkin. And suddenly, you see the girl's eyes are sort of looking real funny. She's kind of looking away. And you get the sensation these guys are giving her the big eye. And they're just waiting for you to turn around. You can feel it drilling in the back of your neck. And then suddenly you hear one of them says, Hey, baby. Hey, hey, what are you doing with that clutch? <laughs> and it's hanging there in the diner, you know, like some great big dragon, you know, just laying there. And, you know, just feeling you got to do something. So you say, how about, how, about, uh, how about playing a jukebox match? <laughs> you put it in and the music starts. It goes for a minute and a half. You know, they have special records for jukeboxes. They're like 30 seconds long now, you know. It plays, it stops. There's a silence. And suddenly you hear something coming up behind you. You turn around. You catch his eye. What are you looking at, Mac? You looking at me? You looking at me? Hey. Hey, Charlie, look at this guy. He's looking for a fight. You're sitting there. You looking at me? He said, no. <laughs> no, I was just looking at the pie <laughs> over there. Yeah. You better not get smart. He walks past. He slams the John door. Thirty seconds later, it comes out. He walks past. And he, he looks at the chick. He gives her that look, you know. Come with me. Fly with me to paradise in my 56 cut-down leaded mercury. <laughs> and there's something about those guys that chicks cannot quite... They cannot quite resist, fellas. Let's face it. It's sin, you know. <laughs> they're torn between being friend... You know, they're torn between loyalty to Claude... 
After all, he's my date. And that funny little overload relay that kicks out when this gigantic hairy male looks at us and says, Come on, baby. Then he looks at Claude. He goes back and sits down. Another long pregnant pause. And then one of them says, Hey, look at the coat, Mac. Hey, what do you got the ice cream coat on? Monkey coat. These are all typical witticisms of New Jersey Martys. <laughs> Their wit is clean and cutting, scintillating in its brilliance, and to my knowledge has never been put in a play. Monkey coat. Long pause. Then somebody comes down and you can feel it coming. And with that, the guy leaves from behind the counter and he heads him off. He says, I don't want no trouble here, Chuck. I don't want no trouble, Chuck. I remember, now listen, not like last Wednesday, Chuck. <laughs> Immediately, the last Wednesday, and Chuck says, oh, I'm just leaving. And you hear, boom, the door, and then you hear out there in the driveway the sound of gravel. You know that, his rear wheels, boom, gravel over the front of the stainless steel diner. And you see those lights, boom. And one by one, they leave. And you're left alone. Big truck pulls up. You're toying with your scrambled eggs. Have you ever lost a round? Wow! Have you ever tried to make... You say, oh, well, I didn't want to fight. Boy, let me tell you. You notice there was eight of them, don't you? Mert? She says, yes, there were eight. I don't want to fight on Saturday night. You're sitting there in your little white coat. And then there's a pause, and she says, I think we better get home. It's getting late. This is an awfully rough place. Whew. She is saying they're too big for you, Claude. All the men in the world are tougher than you are, Claude. And Claude gets up and gets in the front seat of his borrowed father's. 1964 Pontiac Tempest with seat covers. The kind, you know, that look a little like soft tweed. He gets in and drives away. And all up and down US 1, there they are. Waiting in their webs. I wonder how many guys are listening to me right now who five minutes ago have just said to their chick, let's find a diner. And now he says, no, I, let's go to the Red Rooster back home. <laughs> you better stick with the Red Rooster, Dad. You know, speaking of, of, this is all part of entertainment now. We're going back because it is a fact. Since this is entertainment week, the Jersey Martys get their entertainment by knocking Claude's heads together and driving up and down that turnpike. And every time, boy, I'll tell you, I don't know of any anger that matches the anger. I don't think women know this. I don't think they see this. This is the kind of danger that women don't know. I've never seen one woman get up in a diner and come back and challenge another one to fight. <laughs> never. They don't know this, you know, in front of God, everybody, the chick, the whole world. <laughs> women don't know this thing. And another thing they don't know is that kind of thing that they do to you on the road. 
How many times have you been driving along the highway and some guy comes whipping along on the turnpike? You can always tell. They tailgate you. You're driving along and all of a sudden you hear this. You think of a truck. It ain't. He's got his Hollywood pipes going full blast. And he's coming up that center lane, you see, of the Jersey Turnpike, and he's looking for a fish. You. He can tell, you see. He looks and he sees two people. He sees a guy and a chick. And so here's eight of them in this car. They come up and they tailgate you. They get right behind you. And you feel it boring. You're going along. You're trying to pretend nothing's happening. You slide over to the next lane and let them pass. They don't pass. They get behind you. You see, chicks don't know about this. They get behind you. Then you say, well, wait a minute. You go to the left lane, waiting. And then you see those lights sneak up behind you. There ain't no mistake in it, Dad. It's beginning to happen. Then you go back to the center lane, thinking I can jump either way. Here, they won't trap me. You're laying here, and all of a sudden, he slides out and starts to catch up to you. And he begins to nudge you. You ever had that happen at 60 miles an hour? And all these guys are looking at the chick. Those big, fat, Marty bowling alley grins. And they got cans of beer. Hey, hey, baby. And the, the car staggers a little. Hey, hey. And you're drunk. Oh. And then they get in front of you, you know. Then they start going. They're waiting for you to race them. And they boom. You see those four pipes? Breathing blue flame. He kicks back. Now you're going 22 miles an hour. And so you calmly you go out like this, pretending it's just another driver. Boom, 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 boom. Hey, baby, hey. Let's go. Chicken. Chicken. And suddenly you got claws. You got a big beak. You can feel feathers growing out of you. Big white ones. You're the first yellow-bellied chicken. Chicken! They get in front of you. It is at that moment that I get a fantastic urge to have a mine explode. I think that's a great invention for civilian use. Just to use in case of emergency. You press the button. Boom! <laughs> Felt him right on the top of his cut-down roof. Bow! <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you, driving, driving this, this vehicle was great sensation. And the next thing that I drove, and, and uh, you know, I have never seen a war book or novel that tells you about driving vehicles. No, really. Do you know that they have a GI driving license? Hey, stop it. Wait till I tell a joke. Then you laugh. Now, no, there is a GI driving license. It's a little blue folder. And it folds like that, and it has 37 vehicles listed all up and down. Hey, now wait, wait, oh, come on, fella, give me a chance. Tell them, Alan, to wait, will you? So it's got a whole list of vehicles that range all the way from M1 Jeeps to things like DUKWs. You know what a duck is? Well, oh yeah, I know, it's obsolete, but they've got a version of it now, Dad. And that vehicle is as big as the limelight. It really is. It's, it's darn near this big. It's a boat. It goes into the water and it, it, it mounts two 50 caliber machine guns. It mounts 35 little grenade slots along the edges. You sit in there 
What a sense of security. I mean, there's acres of wood and there's a motor in there, boy, that just sounds like it's an elephant that's got a bad tooth. Well, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of the most thrilling vehicles that I ever drove in my, in my days in the Army. It's a great, great sense of driving something that really had it. I mean, it really, it was, it was a wild sense of, of something that was really, that was really there, that had muscles all over it. It was a troop carrier with what they call split rear wheels. This is the kind of thing that goes directly straight up walls. You know, that kind of thing you can throw gear eight gear shifts in it. See. You can throw the rear wheels at the high, the front wheels at the, in the medium, the middle wheels you can throw at the low, and this thing is like a caterpillar. And you sit there, and it shakes. You're sitting there, and you're driving. It's got glass that thick that goes up and down. It's got a little, a tiny, just a tiny little thing you put over to keep the rain and shell fragments out. You sit there like that. And, you, and on the front of this thing, they had a great big knife that stuck up right out of the front of it, and it was for cutting wires. It was for cutting booby traps. You know, they used to have a booby trap where it would, a little fire across the road would be strung. Guys would come along in a Jeep or something, and they hit it, boom, up over, or decapitate them, little things like that, you know. <laughs> oh, if you think you have trouble in your traffic, oh, I'll tell you, <laughs> you are, if, you think that, if you think Fordham Road is bad, you ought to drive over a minefield. <laughs> well, you know, speaking, uh, speaking of minefields now, yeah. Speaking of minefields and all-out war, what radio station is this? W-O-R-A-M and FM, New Yorkie, New York. You son of a gun. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> bye, George. Oh, yes, and, and one more thing. If you are not living in New York and you have not read The Village Voice, you have not tapped a really open, naked nerve of this city. As a matter of fact, The Village Voice is probably the, the most prize-winningest newspaper to come about in the country in the last five or six years, and unquestionably one of the most continually irritating, interesting, wildly uh, misinformative newspapers that's ever been printed in this country. And uh, as a matter of fact, I've taken The Voice myself since about 1956, and I have been hooked uh, the way some people get hooked on Ovaltine. This is The Village Voice, really. It's a weekly, it's wild, it's interesting, and it tells more about America, I think, than most of the more serious, uh, pompous newspapers that are around. And if you would like to subscribe, send your name and address to Village Voice, Gene Shepherd, Sheridan Square, New York. It's four bucks a year, and it's a big four dollars. The Village Voice, the Village Voice, the Village Voice, the Village Okay. Hello, 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 excuse me, friends. I hate to interrupt what is apparently very interesting. Marty! Hey, Marty, do you want to sing for us? Come on. Come on down. Marty will come down. But, you know, while Marty's getting ready to sing for us, Marty Lauren is one of the owners of this joint. That's why he can sing for us. Uh, you know that they've been doing a lot of research into the pleasure area of your brain. Do any of you know that you have a pleasure center in your brain? You do, you really do. It's a fact that in your brain there is one little spot 
where all the whoopee goes on. Uh, of course, some people have had trouble. It's been truncated in that, but uh, that is a truth. And you know how they've been doing it? They've been doing it with rats. I mean, experiment, it's the truth. And they've been attaching little electrodes to different parts of their brain. And they finally discovered that with the proper batteries, don't mess with those Jap batteries, they're no good. Uh, you're going to try the real pleasure problems. That with the proper voltages fed into the, the, the pleasure center of the brain, the rats go ape. No, they give up everything. They sit there, they give up, you know, all the stuff that rats do. You know, leer and, and, and growl and snap and hiss. And they just sit there with a silly grin on their face. No, it is the truth. And, and they, they've been experimenting and they found that, that the rats give up everything. The total pleasure is obtained with this voltage. And right now, General Electric is working on a whoopee hat. It's going to be made illegal, but for the, when it first comes out, we can swing for a while. And this thing looks like a symbolic paper hat. And you plug it in, the electrodes are connected, and dad, it is fantastic. You just sit there, your eyeballs sweat, your ears, you know, just hang out there and you just sit there. The only thing they're worried about is that it's liable to cause a terrible drop in the population. So, come on, Barney, get over here. Uh, this is old friendly Marty Lauren, who isn't the same since he lost his beard. And there's an anti-beard chick. What are you going to do for us tonight, Marty? Well, in honor of all the Jersey Marty's and a rock and roll type thing, so you talk about, Jim. This is awful low, man. A little low. Okay, just bring it. It, it, it. I grew some. Okay, there you go. Watch it, though. It's live. Uh, in honor of Leo there, who has often requested it, I'd like to do a song called Call Me By My Rightful Name. Well, I was standing on a corner when this chick walked by. I whistled kind of low. She looked me dead in the eye. She said, I'll come if you call me. She said, I'll come if you call me. She said, I'll come if you call me, but call me by my rightful name. Well, I asked her if she wanted me to walk her home. She said she'd see me later. She'd be all alone. I said, I'll come if you call me. I said, I'll come if you call me. I said, I'll come if you call me, but call me by my rightful name. Oh, well, I went up to her house and she was all alone. She gave me plenty of love and then her father walked home and oh, what he called me. Oh, man, what he called me. Oh, man, what he called me and he didn't use my rightful name. Oh, well, I beat it out the window cause I couldn't find the door. I hollered so long, baby, I won't see you anymore. She said, I'll come if you call me. I'm gonna come if you call me. I'll still come if you call me, but call me by my rightful name. 
Well, the next day I called her. She came about ten with a parson and a sheriff and a half a dozen men. She said, I came because you called me. Yeah, I came because you called me. I came because you called me. Now call me by my rightful name. Well, I looked all around and saw just what was what, and so I said to the parson, go ahead and tie the knot, and now she comes when I call her. Yeah, she comes when I call her. She always comes when I call her, because she finally got her rightful legalizing name. Listen, uh, Marty, I, I hate to I hate to appear gauche. Since when? <laughs> but I'm going to appear gauche. I want you to sing John Henry again. Come on. <laughs> this is kind of really in honor of the limelight softball team, which finally after many tries, won its first ball game. <laughs> no, the Mets are far better than we are. <laughs> when John Henry was a little baby, sitting on his daddy's knee, he picked up a hammer, a little piece of steel, said, hammer gonna be the death of me, Lord God, hammer gonna be the death of me. Some say John Henry come from Texas, others say come from Caroline. But I know John Henry was a Brooklyn man, and he worked on the B&T subway line. Worked on the B&T line. When they were digging at Underground Railway, and the rock and the earth wouldn't yield. He picked up a hammer, took a mighty backswing, and he came up in Ebbets Field, Lord God, came up in Ebbets Field. Well, a ball game, it was in progress, with the Giants winning five to two. Brooklyn had three runners on base, but nary a hitter in view, Lord God, nary a hitter in view. Well, John Henry said, don't you worry. Johnny Henry said, don't you care. He picked himself up a mighty hickory bat and started fanning breezes in the air, Lord God. Fanning those breezes in the air. Well, a pitcher, he went into his wind-up and he threw what he thought was strike one. John Henry took a cut at the very first pitch and drove that ball into the sun, Lord God. Drove that old ball into the sun. Well, the sun, it went into hiding and the rain come a-pouring down. Before that deluge hit the earth, John Henry was a-circling around, Lord God. John Henry was a-circling around. So they put John Henry on his shoulders and they carried him to Borough Hall. The borough president offered a reward to the man who could find that ball, Lord God. The man who could find that ball. Well, the Dodgers moved to California. Try to take John Henry along. He told him, keep your gold rush out on the coast. Because Brooklyn is the place where I belong, Lord God. Brooklyn is the place where I belong. Then he went back to work on the subway, swung his hammer for the BMT. 
He struck the third rail, a mighty shattering blow, and he lit up like a Christmas tree, Lord God. He lit up like a Christmas tree. Well, they took his body to the ballpark, and they filed past one by one. And as they lowered him into the ground, that ball came down from the sun, Lord God. That baseball came down from the sun. Well, that's a tale of John Henry. You might have heard it another way. But every time you cross that Brooklyn Bridge, they tell you just how John Henry saved the day, Lord God. Just how John Henry saved the day. You know, every, every time, every time Marty comes on the show, which is about once every two or three weeks, I get this terrible urge to revert to type. I don't know whether you know what my type is, but I want to tell you, every time, Marty, every time you finish that song or one of your songs, I get this feeling of saying, you've been listening to big old lonesome wandering Marty. Coming this way from the Midwestern Hayride, brought to you by the Purina Chick Chow Company. For those of you who are having trouble with laying chicks and laying hens, it's Purina Chick Chow every time. And the Peoria Rockdale Monument Corporation is making available to those of you out there who have a loved one lying in a grave tonight in an unmarked grave because you can't afford a headstone for them. Yes, to those of you who have an unmarked grave in your family, the Peoria Rockdale Monument Corporation is making absolutely free of charge a four-color catalog that shows a beautiful selection of headstones with movable type <laughs> and many sentimental inscriptions that can be yours. And now the International Bible Corporation of Westchester, Texas makes available to those of you who would love to have a Bible with bulletproof covers. A Bible... <laughs> well, as a matter of fact... Uh, as you can see, I've been there, and, and I, have a, I have a vague feeling that, that I'm going to have to answer for many sins when I arrive up at that great... Can you imagine yourself, though, seriously? You know, that's a funny idea. We always think of these things in the total abstract. And we, you know, there's, there's, there's the feeling that somewhere, someplace along the line, we're going to have to pay for our sins. All the things you did are somewhere, someplace, being compiled in a book. Your service record. <laughs> well, can you imagine what yours looks like? No, seriously, can you see your little book, your little service record? And one of them is, let's say, one of them is Passion Purple. They have two books. One of them is Passion Purple, and the other one is White. And the white, beautiful one, it looks like this alabaster. That's the book where they keep the beautiful things you have done in life. And the other one is where all your evils are recorded. Which one would be fatter? Seriously, can you imagine there's a chick that's really, uh, she's worried. <laughs> well, now, see, we put all this down because, you know, we say, well, we're modern we're very modern, uh, enlightened people. We do not believe in such things as original sin. We do not believe in such things as, as absolute morality. We don't believe in these things. 
Right, gang? We don't, do we? No, no, that's right. We don't want any of the books, do we? They're not keeping a book on all the stuff we've done, have they? No, 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 no. Will we all together please yell one just once? It'll be, somehow, maybe it'll reach, maybe it'll reach the destination just once. Holler, help! Help, 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 help. <laughs> oh, boy, you tap that and it'll go. But, no, see, really, seriously, can you imagine yourself arriving at this great big bar of justice? And they look down at you. They, it, whatever it is, looks down at you, says, uh-huh, uh-huh, a village voice reader, huh? A Jonas Meckes fan, eh? Uh-huh. I suppose you think you're an art lover, eh? Guy spent the last 14 years watching art films. <laughs> well, art lover, we have a book here, and we're going to start looking down the files here and see where you first made your first mistake. Uh-huh, let's see, you were age seven. You say seven? What? Seven? He says, yes, and you know, don't you? But, but, seven, I was only a kid. Says, no, you weren't. Don't give me that cop-out. At the age of seven, you went down to George's candy store, and you stole a copy of Spicy Detective. <laughs> All right, literature fan. <laughs> that was the beginning. <laughs> and then there was this ad that appeared in Popular Mechanics. I quote, Art students, 50 poses. You must be over 21. You were nine. <laughs> and then you know you're sunk. <laughs> They've got it all down. And after about 20 minutes of reading, I could just see all of us just standing up there. Just don't go on. Send me. I'll go, I'll go. That's where all my friends are anyway. I'll go, they're all down there, flick, brood, and roll there. And he says, wait. Just a minute, art lover. Just a minute, beauty fan. You are not going there. Can you imagine the terrible fear that would come into your mind to realize you're going to heaven? You're not going there. Just where am I going? He says, well... How are you on, how are you on music? Do you play any instruments? Guy says, no, I don't play. You don't want to tell him about your kazoo? You can't imagine yourself in heaven throughout eternity playing a B-flat kazoo. He says, you'll learn. Well, I want to tell you that I suspect most of us right now in this room 
would be insulted by St. Peter if he says, you're going to heaven. You'd say, what do you mean? Because everyone thinks he's been really rotten, you know? He says, son, greasy kid stuff. And then you wonder what you missed. You wonder what the real gut, what the real swingers were doing. <laughs> and the terrible thought is that always secretly you have felt you were missing. <laughs> you know, most of us, you know, wouldn't it be great? Seriously, though, there are seven deadly sins. Wouldn't you like to be the first in your neighborhood to invent a new one? <laughs> I mean, really, a brand new one. I'm a cosmic one. <laughs> And you invent this thing, and it's fantastic, and wow, you stagger around. Immediately, you'd know it's a sin. I know that the first guy that had a drink of scotch knew he was doing something wrong. I mean, believe me, first guy, and you'd stagger around, and can you imagine yourself hiding it to keep your neighbors from finding out? And then it begins to spread like wildfire, the new sin. They have to rewrite the whole book. Well, let me tell you about sin. This is a thing that's bugged everybody all the time. There's no question. You know, you sit here and laugh. It is a word that is rarely used in today's lexicon. Rarely. In fact, have you noticed there are a lot of words that aren't used, like uh, ignorant? Nobody's ignorant. He's all underprivileged. <laughs> is always underprivileged. Nobody's dumb. They're always underachieved. You know, there's no such thing as, as just a slob anymore. All these words have disappeared, and along with them has the word sin disappeared. Well, it has disappeared as a word. <laughs> we don't use it anymore. No one says, oh, there goes Charlie. What a sinner he is. No, you don't say that. Say, there goes Charlie. Boy, there's a real swinger. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is the playboy ideal. And, and the word has disappeared. Sin, good, evil, all those things have gone down. Well, let me tell you, it's funny. The, there are little pockets in the Midwest where it remains. They, have, they, they haven't gotten it. They haven't gotten the message yet, you know. <laughs> they really haven't. They're still living someplace in the far distant past when there were dumb kids. There were bright kids. There were spoiled brats. You know, that's another thing. Have you noticed ever since Spock, the spoiled brat, has disappeared, there's only bad parents. <laughs> that's fascinating. And yet, almost every parent I knew who's a rotten parent, was a spoiled brat. And he's producing a spoiled brat, you know. And so with, with, the, with, the, with the coming of, of Spock and various other organs of this kind, there have disappeared from our nomenclature all the great words, like sin. Another word that's disappeared that is almost completely gone is cheating. Nobody cheats. Not really. Did you notice recently everybody got very mad because a West Point cadet was kicked out for cheating in, a, in an exam? Did you read that? 
they caught this guy. He had notes on the back of his ears, on his shoes. He had them written on his contact lenses. He had the whole scene going, see, and they caught him and they threw him out. And there was a great hue and cry, and now he's sitting back there with a smug look. They got him in, you know, because there's no such thing anymore. Well, I'm going to tell you, since this is exam time, <laughs> there's a lot of sinners out there tonight. Oh, yeah, and they're getting even more. They're really, oh, seriously, you know, the most creative exam cheater that I ever saw in my life, I just ran into two years ago, the electronic world, fellas has gotten into the exam cheating business. I know a guy who had a little Japanese transistor radio, which he had rebuilt. And he had it there, and he pretended he was listening to the Mets games. And outside, outside the campus was his buddy with a walkie-talkie. And he was saying, E is equal to 2 pi f square over LD minus 7. That is the multiple dipole equation for elliptical waveforms. You got it, Charlie? And Charlie would press the button. E, e, got it. See? He'd press him once, repeat, boop. This guy passed with a fantastic record. I want to tell you one little story about me that is involved in the exam. Most people are afraid of show business. Most people because they can't imagine themselves getting up in front of a lot of other people naked, just sheer naked, and says, watch how funny I'm going to be. <laughs> watch me sing now, folks. I'm going to tell you funny jokes. Boy, that strikes terror into your heart. And so generally most people adjust and say, ah, oh, they're rotten showbiz. Those are all rotten people, you know? Rotten, aggressive people in showbiz. And the most, I'd say the most operative form of audition is the exam. Believe me, you know that terrible, terrible moment of truth when you are about to approach the Latin three exam and your head has just been buzzing for a semester. You know that terrible feeling of sitting in a class and your eyes, are just, you can't keep them open and there's one of these teachers that just goes, <laughs> the bell goes and you get up, you wake up, you're staggering down, but you have had 55 minutes of quadrilateral equations and there's nothing but this hum in your ear. Well, of course, it goes on and in the beginning of the semester, you have a feeling that you're going to win, you know? Somewhere along the line, you're going to catch on. But then about somewhere at a crucial point, this is the point of no return, literally, you suddenly realize with a faint, sick, fantastic sickness in your stomach, you don't even, you don't even know what identities mean. They're using phrases like identities. Use the, give me the following equations for the following identity. What the hell is he talking about? And, and it's, you see this, these, these convolutions are going together. Time is undoing you, you see. It's getting closer and closer to the, to the talk. That day, you can't escape. Well, let me tell you one time, I am in the Army. I am in a university. I am taking a university course. I have been out in the field. I have been brought back from a shell hole. They have sent me to the university. I am now in this university. They have given me 37 hours of solids 
Oh, it was fantastic. All the guys were with me. And they tell us, you fail one course, and it's the 102nd Infantry Jack. <laughs> now! And you're going by airplane, and you're going to land by parachute. And boy, can you imagine going into an exam with that riding on you? Well, let me tell you, I one course has always totally eluded me. Chemistry. I don't understand it. And there's always some smart guys with glasses who know all about it. They had it in high school or something, you know? And, and there goes, yes, of course, N.A. valence 2 minus 7, blah, 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 They write it up. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrown, you know, all the way through. I'm thinking it and I'm phoning it. And all of a sudden, the day came for the exam. The final. I didn't know anything. And it was an exam in, 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 in organic chemistry. All I knew were things like salt and carbon. I knew there was something called carbon compounds. So that night, the whole night, I stayed up. I read my little cell, my uniform. I'm sweating. Oh, God, the 102nd. They call it the Bulldozer Infantry Division. They call it Old Bull. Oh, 102nd. I'm reading, reading. Well, during the semester, you always pick up three or four or maybe eight or nine little isolated facts. And there I walk in. I'm sick. It's one of these amphitheater places. And I look down, and there is that professor up there. And he says, all right, here are your exam questions. Ten of them. A, B, C, ten. I looked down. I couldn't believe it. It was the only ten things I knew. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, it was like God had said, Shepherd is not going to the 102nd. <laughs> and I write it down, I'm writing real fast. I think he's going to erase it, you know. <laughs> I'm writing it down, you know, I'm writing like mad. And I put it, I put the paper down, he takes a look at it, and he says, he says, you know, he took one look at it, and he says, Shepherd, he says, I knew, even though you were in the last row and you were in, I knew you were one of my best students. <laughs> well, We'll be back next week from the limelight. Thank you for coming. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. If you've ever seen a youngster on his way to camp, you'll agree he's just about the happiest person alive as he dreams of the swimming and hiking of all the outdoor fun he's about to enjoy. Unfortunately, for some boys from New York's east side, camp is only a dream. But your dollars can make this dream come true, for one boy at least. The Boys Club of New York desperately needs contributions to send some 1,000 boys to their new Camp Harriman in the beautiful forests of the Catskill Mountains, and they're asking for help. Just $26 will treat one boy to a week in camp, a week away from the heat and noise of the city, a week of carefree fun and good, healthy country living. Won't you give some east side boy this chance to enjoy the kind of vacation he needs and dreams of? Send your contribution tonight to the Boys Club of New York, Box 77, New York 9, New York. And thank you so much. <laughs>